Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. This is our attempt to speak the gospel out of every corner of Scripture. We believe every part of the Bible, Old Testament and New, is about Jesus. And this podcast is our experiment to publicly test that belief. Let's jump in. All right, well, welcome to our third episode on Leviticus. Yes, third. We've done an introduction. Uh, and then one more episode. And then and then we did, um, what happened? My, my mic was too far away. So <laughs> you I leaned like, in. And I was <laughs> leaning towards it, and then it felt really strange. So now I'm back. You're Centered. back. I'm glad. So we did an introduction. In the presence of the Lord. And then, <laughs> the world. <laughs> and then we did um, Leviticus 1 to 5, where we looked at the cast of characters. Yes, which, all the different types of sacrifices right. we should expect in the book. Yes. Except for one that shows up today, the wave offering. Yeah, which <laughs> we, oh nobody, boy. nobody knows. Nobody knows. Uh, anyway, and so um, today now we're going to turn our attention to chapter 6. One thing to note about this um, in chapter 6 is the um, Hebrew uh ordering of the text, numbering of the text, their chapters and verses yeah, yeah, are yeah. different from the English. Yes. So um, we thought this would be a good place to break because in the Hebrew, when he starts talking about the priest, uh, it's actually 6-1 uh, in the oh, Hebrew text is actually our 6-8. And so right. actually chapter 6 is this hard line shift because we get a change. So in verse chapters 1 to 5, yep. for, uh, 1 to 6-7, it's the cast of characters, the right. different types of offerings you should expect. Yes. And then 6-7 onward, it's the function of the priests, what they're supposed to do, yep. and how they are supposed to like uh, mediate these sacrifices. That's right. That's like, there's just a hard thematic just a, break. Yeah. And like the Hebrew text picks that up. Got it. So it's kind of harder to see when it's buried in s- seven verses down. We and... do have a handy little title that just says, The Priest yes. and the Offerings at right. 6-8, which is, thanks yeah. ESV. Thanks ESV, appreciate that. Um, so anyway, We're looking for sponsors, by the way. That's Crossway. right. Yeah, Crossway. You want to hop in <laughs> and just uh, make that happen? That'd be great. Uh, so anyway, uh, and, and what we're going to notice here is um, since we have a different like group of people being talked to, where we should expect different things to be talked about. So, so before we do that, though, yeah. why do you need a priest? Oh, okay, yeah. Because why can't I just bring my sacrifice to God's presence right. and receive forgiveness for myself? Yes. Okay. That's how... It's a good I, question. Right? It's like, why do we need priests? Yeah. Um, well, okay, I guess my first answer would be, after reflecting on this text, <laughs> it would be um, that there's so much that the priests themselves had to go through in order to be like purified and holy and set apart. There was a higher standard There was a higher them. standard for them. And so they, they they had to be cleaned up and allowed, like they had to wear a uniform and go through all these rituals, and then they were allowed to bring other people's sacrifices to God. And so... Um, and there was yeah. seven days of like ordination for them. So right. it took seven days for them to be like ready to accept the sacrifice of the yep. people. So I think that's part of it is so that what, like... So the first answer is yeah. that because... It's a serious deal to go into the presence of true power, and, and we're going to see light. that in a really big way in chapter ten. And yeah. for if anybody for anybody to come to the temple, they would have to go through all the things God is requiring of the priests. Right. And at the end of the day, that's impractical. Yes. And two, the Lord wants to make sure that there's a special class of people. Yes. Where the standard is higher. Right. Who acts as a go between between God's presence and forgiveness. And yes. And that's and that's really important. Is that this isn't a matter of practicality. Like, it wasn't that God couldn't have, uh, you know, built a gigantic laver and a, gi- a ginormous altar and just, you know, made everybody a priest. I mean, and back in Exodus, they were called a kingdom of priests. Right. Everyone was supposed to be a priest. But there is this actual functional office of priest, and God says, uh, sets them apart, right? Yeah. And, and yeah, so yeah. we'll see in Numbers, we'll see that God actually has bought the Levites, um, out of all the nation of Israel as his firstborn. Uh, and we'll see that he actually like calls them out separate. And so there's actually something theological happening here too, that God not only wants to set apart um, these people for a specific role, but this, these, the, he wants to set apart these people for a specific symbol that we will mm. ev- immediate, we will eventually become as Christians. Right. Yeah. So we are priests. Right. Like we are the priesthood of all believers. Right. Yeah. And then I guess, yeah. Never mind. <laughs> I was gonna try to make a premature Jesus turn, oh. and I decided not to. Okay, uh, a a PMJT. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a premature Jesus turn. 
<laughs> uh, anyway, uh, so I think that's part of it. Um, the other, I guess, part of it would be something cultural where um, people were used to priests. People right. understood the idea of priests that um, you don't just come up to God. You have to, aren't there, there's rules that have right. to take place, and right? And we talked about, I think it was in the Leviticus introduction video mm-hmm. where we we still recognize our need for priests. We just call them counselors or therapists. Oh, right. It's like, in order for us to feel at one with ourselves or to reconcile between our us and our spouse, right. you go to a professional who is learned in the art of reconciliation. Yeah. And you go to them, you pay them something, you give them an offering, and then they offer advice. Mm-hmm. They come to you, they care for you, they yep. guide you into reconciliation. Right. So like we we're can, used yeah. to the idea that we don't in ourselves have <laughs> right. the ability to absolve ourselves of guilt forgive ourselves, whatever you want to phrase oh, it. Do you know right. what I mean? Like, yes, we don't I understand. Have, yeah. Or we don't even like fix our horizontal relationships. We re- we're recognized universally that we need somebody outside of yeah. us to bridge that gap. And you can also think about it in like the social sphere where um, if there's someone of great power or prestige, celebrity, you don't email them directly to get a meeting you with go them. To their agent. You go to their agent, <laughs> their secretary, you know, like right, right, right. Their, you, their handler, you know, and like you have to go through someone to get to a person of power. Even today we do that. You know, yeah. you're not going to email the president or Celine Dion. You know, you're going to. I've never <laughs> wanted to email <laughs> either of them. <laughs> Yo, Celine, how, how it be? You want to grab coffee this <laughs> weekend? You wouldn't do that. You would you would reach I mean, out I, to her, her her agent or her. get rejected by her. You would. And then and then she'd be like, no, <laughs> no. But it's true, though. People of power, you don't approach directly. You have to go through someone. Right. That's just I mean, a king, right. you know, you don't go and just say, hey, king, what's up? You go through his his like stewards and his court. Of, right. I don't I don't know. I don't know how courts work and king's mm. halls. So I was, I'm out of my I was I'm out think, of my depth. Here. I was thinking about the book of Esther and how mm. uh, for Esther to go before the king, you had to have an appointment, essentially. Mm-hmm. And then if you came in and announced the king had you the did. scepter, you had to, and he like tapped it. And if he tapped it on the ground, you're dead or, you know, I don't remember. Yeah. I, I forget that. It was like a. We'll talk about Esther later. Yeah. <laughs> we'll <laughs> study that later. <laughs> I'll sound more educated like a month. But anyway, so, so you think about this. It's like these people of power, um, you have to go through liaisons to get to, especially in the realm of the gods or here, the one true God. He is of utmost extreme power. There is no one but him. Um, you know, that, you know, now, you know, the Ten Commandments has told us that. So right. how do we approach him? We have to go through priests, which is why, let's go ahead and make a Jesus turn so people know where we're going here, is, mm. like, turn. it's such good news. The gospel is such good news because we have one way to God. I am the way, the truth, the life, Jesus said. And so we only get to the Father through him. He is our new priest, and he's a, a good one. He doesn't have to offer sacrifices to himself. He does it continually. We're talking about all this right. today. Is why is Jesus a better priest than these priests? Than why is right why here. is the system of the gospel better than the system of Leviticus? Why does Jesus offer better absolution? Why yeah. does Jesus offer better a better sense of forgiveness, a right. better cleansing than these priests can offer? Why does Jesus offer us a better sense of reunification and reconciliation with those people around us than the priest ever did? Right. So we're going to look at all of that hopefully okay. uh, as we uh, unpack Leviticus six to ten. Okay, so let me just lay out a really short overview of what these four chapters address. Yes. So we have basically walking through in different order the same sacrifices that we have just seen in the cast of characters of one to five. Okay. But instead of seeing like what types of animal you should bring and what you as the worshiper should do when you what arrive at the temple. Off, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's their job. That's the worshiper's job. Here we get to see the priest's job. What what do okay. they do? So what happens it, when you get the, yeah, what happens when they when when the stuff comes to you to put on the altar? And so you you know what to do with the fat and what to do with the entrails and what you get to eat and what you don't get to eat and it. what gets taken outside the camp, what gets taken into the tabernacle, all that's That's laid chapter out here. 6 and 7 basically. That's right. And then we we move to a narrative. We're like it, it almost feels jarring. We've been reading seven chapters of detailed rituals and now right. it's it's a narrative. Which is what the way a table of contents would feel. That's here's right. the table of contents. Yep. It's very long and detailed. <laughs> now here's the story. Right, yes. <laughs> yeah. But we again, we shouldn't forget that Leviticus is part of a narrative. Um, and so we see the narrative is um, they, the whole congregation of Israel, meaning the elders and the, the, the representative leaders of Israel, along with Aaron and all his sons, come to the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, and you, you see Aaron consecrates his sons, then Aaron is consecrated, and then Aaron's sons... Uh, have like a failing and they get burned up and die. And that's the last chapter. <laughs> that's the last chapter in 10. Um, and so you kind of get sons, Aaron, sons kind of thing. In, Got it. In a little uh, 
chiasm, mini chiasm. Um, and so uh, we love a good chiasm. We love a good chiasm. So basically, that's the layout. Uh, since we've already laid, since we've already talked about what each of the sacrifices mean, um, it would be. It, it, I think it would be a better way for us to work through this, kind of pulling out the unique details of the priest's job in um, yeah, all yeah, these yeah. sacrifices. So the first thing I think is really interesting about um, the section is we hear about the first continuous offering. That right? never stops That burning. never stops. So there is always supposed to be a burnt offering on the altar at the tent of meeting, and it, its fire is never to go out. Yeah, I read that too. It's in verse uh, 13. Fire it, shall be kept yep. burning on the altar continually. It shall not go right. out. And that's repeated five times. Five times we're told, don't let the fire go out. 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 That's five times. I counted on my fingers. So that's five. Do you yes. have five fingers? I have five fingers. All five <laughs> of them were used in that counting. And so we know this is extremely important. And so we have to stop and think, why would God never want the fire at the altar to go out? If it, I mean, it's this important, right? Right? Why would he never want it to go out? So I thought of two reasons. Okay, I, I, there, there, th- there, there, there are three popular three. ones. Oh, there's, man. there's three you popular more than ones. me. Well, let's hear, let's hear your two. No, you know, your measly two. No. <laughs> I don't even want. I don't even want. I don't even want to. Now. I don't even want to, David. <laughs> Just go give your three. I'll see what I think. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, the first um, is here in a little bit. Uh, at the very end of chapter nine, we're going to see that God himself comes and sets the altar on fire. So the fire of the Lord comes out, and that's what ignites first. That's the fire starter. That's the fire starter. So it's not someone bringing fire from a camp and putting it onto the wood. It's like you're keeping alive God's fire. That's right. Okay. So why keep it alive? Because that's the fire of Yahweh. God started it. We're going to keep it going forever. Don't you dare let that go out. That's God's fire. So there's there's a lot to talk about there. Second is it's this picture of uninterrupted worship. That we're constantly worshiping God and offering up things that are, um, oh, what's the a fragrant aroma to the Lord, yeah. right? And then three is continual consecration or atonement. That mm. we are always sinners. We are constantly sinning. Right. We need we need nonstop atonement. Nonstop forgiveness needs to be taking place. So all three of those, I think, I don't think we need to pit them against each other. I think no. they're all valid. I think the way, way that I thought about it was like it was a symbol of God's constant and forever burning holiness. We talk about his like, mm. his like he's this consuming fire. Right. There's lightning and fire on top of Mount Sinai. There's a pillar of cloud That's and smoke really throughout the book of Exodus. Like God's presence is always seen. His holiness is, pre- is, is this fire that mm-hmm. consumes things. Yeah. So it's a symbol of his holiness. And at the same time, it's also a symbol of his enduring mercy. Right. There's always for available for you a place to receive forgiveness. Yes. His fires of mercy never run out. His mercies are new every morning. Mm-hmm. The fire never dies. Yeah. I think both of those are really, really strong. I think the, the first one, the holiness, better than your three? I, I think they're I yes. think they're just as good. Now we have five <laughs> we have five good ones. And they weren't my three. They're they're Scholar. I think the first one was Calvin, the second one was Keel. I can't remember who the third one was. But um, quote unquote scholars. Quote unquote whoever scholars. these people think they are. Uh Scott. Oh my goodness! But I like reformers. The, reformers. No, I like the I like the holiness one. I hadn't thought about that. Where it, the fire is a symbol of God's presence and His um, kind of marking places out. And so, like at Sinai, when God's fire fell, people did not want to come near the tabernacle. Right. And God even said, "Don't come near, or you'll die." This is a similar warning to the people who are not supposed to come near um, into the holy place to say, "Like, hey guys, this is a holy space." Be careful. It's a marker. Yeah. So I've never thought of it like that. I think that's yeah. really, really cool. I think that's just the pastoral side of what you just said. Like, there's yeah. A, yeah, it's like these are, this is a legitimate, real offering. This can always be offered. God's presence, God started it. Yep. And what are all those symbols of? His enduring holiness and his enduring mercy. It's so good. Steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. Right. And so I think we see a lot of these um, in the New Testament being picked up. You see Jesus is our never-ending atonement before God. His like he's constantly at the right hand of the Father, making inter- for intercession praying for, for us, us, praying for us. Um, it's he's his, it's always there. It never goes out. The fire of Christ never stops burning. Like it's so good. His sacrifice is eternal, continual, never ending. And I, I was just thinking as you were talking about like uh, like uh, mercies are new every morning. Imagine like you do something horrible at, at night in the camp. Yeah, and you wake up. And you're like, oh no, like I'm part of Israel. You see the fire yeah. and you're like, God's going to burn me yeah. up. Yeah, but then yeah. you also, you remember what that is. And it's like, there's a there's a sin offering on that today. 
mm-hmm. and you look at it and you're like, I know my sins are atoned for. And like, you can go and make your own sin atonement too, right. you know, but I just think that's really cool. That idea of like, you can look to the fire and know you're forgiven. And in yeah. Christ, we can look to the cross and know that we're forgiven. And that's really kind of the common experience of all Christians is like, when you do something wrong and you look at the cross, you sense, oh my God, that should be me. Right. I, I should burn. Yeah. I should hang right. for what I've done. And in that same moment, you say, I should hang, but he hung for me. Right. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's so good. So I love that. The other thing I want to talk about is um, you have this, it's, the fi- it's God's fire burning the sacrifice. Mm. Okay. It's not man's fire. So I think it's a very interesting thing. When does God's fire burn out, though? Because <laughs> for whatever you said, that's the thing I thought. Like God, like lights the wood. Yeah. That wood turns to coal. Oh, and then you add more more wood to it. Right. But now that's just wood that you've gathered. That's. But it's still the it's still God's fire. Right. It's yeah. new wood. I know symbolically, but I was like, you know, it's still the same fire. It's like I make sourdough starter. We're gonna go back to a baking analogy. Okay. And so you have your sourdough starter. Yeah. And then you have to continually feed it. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. And so you're supposed to take half of it out, add fifty fifty water. Right. Flour mixture. So eventually, your mother starter continually gets less and less and less and less and less. But is it, when does it stop being a real starter? Your original starter and a new starter. Does this make sense? Well, it doesn't because <laughs> especially with fire, if you think about it, if I start if I if I commit arson at my at my house okay. and just burn my house down and it travels through the neighborhood and say a hundred houses later, I'm still gonna be blamed for starting the first fire. Just because the wood of a hundred neighbors' houses <laughs> caught it and continued it doesn't mean I didn't start the fire. <laughs> In the in the immortal words, <laughs> we didn't start the fire. <laughs> you know. Anyway, so man, I slept four hours last night. This is this is mm. this is the feeling that I, I woke had. up at six fifteen uh-huh. thirteen. Yep, had my new baby on my chest. Yes, and I was trying to read Leviticus. <laughs> yeah, and I think I fell asleep like ten times. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. But the, the fire of the Lord was still burning through all that. He was. Yeah, it was. It was. Anyway, so you talk about this continuous fire of the Lord. And then the, in the New Testament, I just want to I want to test something. Actually, before we do that, I want to ask a question. Why is it significant that God's fire burns up the sacrifice and not a fire that man starts? Well, because the whole purpose of the temple and the sacrificial system is to be at one with the life and light and fire of God's mm. presence, right? Like, so the goal here is to be in God's burning presence. Yeah. And so the, we've had the sun analogy since the very beginning. Like, right. You can't be in the presence of the burning sun yeah. without protection, being made like the sun. So the fact that it's God's fire offering the sacrifice is proof that atonement is actually going to work. Mm. God's fire is coming down and his light and his life and his power, his fire is coming onto you. It's so good. And I'm like, I'm thinking about if you juxtapose that with... Juxtapose. Juxtapose that with... Uh, if you compare that or <laughs> contrast that with um, I like the other... Word. There's a J and an X in a word. Yeah, it's so it's good. Great, it just sounds it's good. It's a great day. But if you do that with um, other cultures of that time, they lit their own fires. They, you know, right, like right, right, right. they offered their own sacrifices. No other gods are burning no, things. No up. other gods are burning things up for themselves. You think about Elijah on Mount was, Carmel. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. It's like God is the God who brings the fire for His own sacrifice. And so, what? And I was trying to figure out why that's important. And I think you nailed it with it's. I know it's accepted. Yeah. Because it's God who offered it. And then you think about the cross, and it's so beautiful because it's. Why do I know the substitution of Jesus and the atonement that He offered on the cross? is going to work right because he is god he was consumed mm, by his right. own fire yeah like it, you know he is the fire he is the fire and, and he, he is, is the sacrifice, sacrifice. oh it's mm. so good like anyway so that's beautiful that is beautiful um now let me do a not fun turn to the left to the left to the left everything you own why is this episode like i don't this? know it's just it's just everyone you're gonna if this is your first time to listen welcome. to this episode welcome <laughs> It's not normally this silly, <laughs> it is. but I like it. It's it fun is. today. Um, but one quick thing I just want to talk about as we're talking about how to see the New Testament and, and the gospel in this is um, the only fire that is talked about in the New Testament that never goes out is mm-hmm. the fire of hell. Oh. Multiple times Jesus talks about it as right. the fire that never goes out and the unquenchable fire. And um, it's the fire of the Lord. Like it's his right. active, it's right, his right, active right, right, right. punishment. And so I'm just like, is there a connection there? Like, is Jesus like trying to draw on that picture of the altar outside the tabernacle whenever he talks about the mm. eternal fire that never goes out, the unquenchable fire? 
Um, and it's just, it, it, I don't know if there's anything to say about that. Right. But just to notice it. And yeah, but it's, it's kind of a heavy thing where it's like, right. But I mean, it's a heavy thing, but at the same time, it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like, like if the fire of the fire that never dies in hell in hell is the same fire that never dies in the middle of God's sanctuary. Mm-hmm. It's a symbol of his presence and his power and his holiness. Right. And so at one point or another, you will come across God's power, his holiness, his light, and his fire. And it's going to be one of two things for you. Either eternal security, eternal forgiveness, eternal um, like bought, purchased presence with him forever, or it will mean forever being on the outside, right. forever being burned alive. And I, when I say that, I don't mean literally, literally. Burned, burned alive, right. but burned by the power that you have not been made like yet. Right. Right. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. And it, it makes me think of, um, I mean, there now, now I really think there's something to this because when you think about the, the pleasing aroma to the Lord coming off the burnt offering from right, this right, eternal right, right, fire, right. what is it in, uh, in revelation 14, 11, we're told that there's this eternal f- fire mm-hmm. that, that's burning mm-hmm. and, um, the smoke rises, um, to heaven and it says uh, in Revelation fourteen eleven, and the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest day and night for those who worship the beast made in his image or anyone who receives the mark of his name. And there's this smoke rising to heaven, and it's like that pleasing aroma to the Lord. But it's mm. and like that's a it's a really hard text. <laughs> it's not a fun text. Um, but uh, anyway, I just wanted to point it out and and just be like, it seems like the New Testament picks up on this theme of an eternal fire, right? And it's like. Since, but and like, but there's good news here because like Jesus went there for us. He descended right. into hell. That whole idea, like the, he put himself on the altar, so we don't have to. He experienced the eternal fire, so we don't have to. Right. The eternal fire never goes out. Right. That's. I mean, there's an eternal fire here in right. this text in a temple, but the whole world, the entire universe, both spiritual and physical, is God's. Yes. And there's an eternal fire that always burns. And every single person in the entire world will be next to that unending fire. And you'll have two very different profound experiences of it, depending mm. on how you respond. Right. It's not like his, his power and his fire is separated. Right. And there's one place where it's all bad. Right. And there's one place where all good. No. His fire and his power is everywhere, yes. all the time, always. And your response to the one that has put himself on the altar for you mm-hmm. depends on how you experience that. Okay, so let's talk about some things that are um, unique to the priest's operations and the sacrifice. Um, first, I guess, we, we talked about last week that only the peace offering was allowed to be eaten by the worshipers. Every, nothing else was allowed to be eaten. Right, that's when they came and had the big picnic outside. Yep, mm-hmm. yeah. But uh, a lot of the sacrifices um, are eaten by the priests. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, and in fact, we're told that that's their portion. Um, it's, whenever you see in Leviticus that something is most holy to the Lord... That's a little code that's meaning, that's the priest's food. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. And so um, don't be weirded out by that phrase. It's just like, that's the priest's food. It's most holy to the Lord. And so they get to eat it. And so um, I think it'd be interesting to talk about why are the priests eating the food? <laughs> well, they are, so everybody in, so there's 12 tribes. Yep. The other 11 tribes are involved in the running of a society, agriculture, farming, yep. livestock, husbandry, city building, planning, and the priests have one job, and it's to maintain the temple and to provide sacrifices. Right. And there's really no money to be made in this. Nope. Like, this this is, this is free, it's a free service, yep. and they need to be somehow compensated. Yep. They need to f- survive. They need to be able to eat them and their families. Right, yeah. and so the, the way that they, works. I said eat them and their families. <laughs> them and their, eat, them and, and their, you can't see commas in, in speech. Eat, comma, them and their families. <laughs> anyway, and, yes, continue. The rest of the nation was supposed to provide for that service because they recognize the central role of right. the temple and the sacrifices that they, that they provide. So there's no other way for them really to eat. Yep. Um, which is interesting. I think this is why that Jesus turns over the tables in the temple. Mm. He's like, and he says, you made this a house of uh, robbers. robbers instead of a house of prayer. Like the sacrificial system was supposed to provide for the priests. Mm. And what do the priests do? They set up a marketplace to line their prop- pockets. 
Yeah. They, they, they're literally yeah. not trusting the Lord right. and his provision and the people and the, the system that God set up. Yeah. It's part of the reason. It's I part think. of the reason. It's part of the reason. There, there's also like some provision in Deuteronomy that allows you to come to the temple and buy animals if you can't, if you tra- can't, br- if you can't bring, bring it, from, it from your own flock because you're too far away. Yes. But I think part of what's happening yeah. in Jesus, like the, 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 pre, the Pharisees throughout them, were, they're known for being duplicitous for lying their own pockets they're taking money from judas you know they're like, not they're not supporting their own parents right so yeah. like they, they, they're 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 not the best guys and so i think part of what we're seeing there is kind of the opposite of what they should be doing they should be trusting the lord they should be praying and providing and listening and right. waiting for the lord to provide of course pharisees weren't priests that's true so careful but anyway <laughs> we can just kill all this we can just kill, no it's good it's good to, I, I i think it's fine um, <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. One more time, and I'll believe you. It's fine. Um, so okay, that's that's cool. Is there anything like theological or symbolic happening here? In I'm a I'm a worshiper, right? And I I'm bringing my sin offering, and um, I chop it up and do all the things and burn the long lobe of the liver and the kidneys and the intestines on the altar, and then I give the rest to the priest, and then he eats it. And takes the blood and splashes on the side of the altar, right, and then right, I'm right. like, "There goes my, there goes my, my good old sheep, J- right. J- Jason, <laughs> Jason the sheep, Jason the sheep, <laughs> and uh, good old Hebrew name, good Jason. old Hebrew name, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and and I and I'm like, I know that the pr- that priest because it says whoever splashes the blood gets right. to eat that animal. Okay, so you do the work, you get the reward, kind of thing, and I know that." You know Mordecai here, who splashed the blood. Is that the sheep name? Or no, no, the... that's the priest. <laughs> is going to go eat Jason the sheep. And is there something there that it's like? Is that is that showing me that God's accepted my sacrifice when I see the priest eat the food that I've brought, or is it just an economic thing that I'm providing for them since they don't have their own plots of land and herds? Or do you think something symbolic and theological is happening? I mean. Yes. <laughs> you just feel bad for saying no because it's the Bible and surely there has to be some theological significance. Well, I mean, the Bible is a practical book in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, like, totally. it's, like, it's a real book. And right. it's like real people have to eat. Eat. <laughs> so here's a way to do that. Right. Um, anyway, maybe not. Maybe not. But I mean, I think it's a way for the people of Israel to be. It's a way for them to, for the, 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 um, the responsibility for the maintenance of the priesthood to go out to all people. It's like it's a nation of priests. Mm-hmm. And at the very least, that means a nation that provides for the priests. You know, right. there's a more there's a, there's a deeper meaning than just like we make sure that yeah the priests survive. It's but. a big deal in the Torah though to make sure you're providing for the priests. There's you know we're going to run in in numbers in Deuteronomy into even more laws to help protect the the like land right. and sheep and herds that are consecrated for the priests. Right. I don't think we need to read too much into it because okay. what, what yeah. Paul does, what does Paul say? Mm. A laborer is worth his wages. Oh, right. Yeah, Therefore, yeah, yeah. pay right. your pastors. Yep. So I feel like... That's good. I feel like the New Testament does this work for us here. That's and really like good. People who serve in the temple of the Lord yep. should be compensated. Yeah. So bring an offering and help support your pastors right <laughs> that's i feel like that's, that's good new testament really turn yeah no, i think it's great okay cool all right so let's look at some other uh unique things um the the priests uh have to when after they're consecrated they the each priest also brings a daily grain offering and uh they have to do that every day and um they're not allowed to eat that it's like the one thing they can't eat um right. that's brought their own grain offering they can't participate in they have to burn it all up on the altar every day and it's this this sacrifice that is referenced by Hebrews seven twenty seven when it says the priests come daily offering oh, their sacrifice. Okay, yeah, this yeah, is the yeah. one they're they're referencing. Yeah. And so it's this picture. Imagine every priest who works in the tabernacle every morning coming in right. with the, their their baked good. Yeah. And burning it all up, and no one gets to eat it. No one gets to enjoy it. It's just that's what they have to do every day to consecrate themselves because they have sinned and they are unclean. And every day they have to be re-cleaned up. And it's this continual thing that every single priest has to keep doing over and over and over again, and no one's eating the food. And then when Hebrews 7, it's making the point that when Jesus comes, he has no sin, so he doesn't have to offer sacrifices for himself. And so he's just one priest, never has to offer a sacrifice for himself, and all the sacrifices we bring to him, we get to eat and enjoy with him. And so it's like this... It's like wasted sacrifice and perpetual sacrifice and all this stuff that's ended in Christ. That's so cool. Anyway, yeah, just cool. a little minor thing, but yeah. I think it's neat. Yeah. Um, 
Then there's this stuff that ta- often will run into this language about being cut off or not being accepted. Yeah, over right. and over again here, uh, it'll essentially say that if you come in unclean, the priest comes in unclean, uh, he'll be cut off. He'll be cut off from right. the people. It says the person shall be cut off from his people. Right, and which is a is actually a euphemism or so, an idiom if for you circumcision. Will. No, <laughs> you will be. They're already circumcised. <laughs> um, it, it's it's a it's it's a it's a much sadder <laughs> idiom. It it means you'll. Die right. to be cut off from the people of God is to be killed. The only reason I say circumcision because Paul picks up this on, in Galatians, yes. where he plays with this idea of people being circumcised and thinking that justifies them, but Christ is cut off for all people. He was and, killed, and he was killed. Right. So he picks up Paul yeah. picks up in Galatians the language used here, right in Leviticus. Yes, yeah. and so uh, anyway, so it's just something to flag because we're going to see that God is warning the priests and telling them, hey, these aren't just arbitrary rules. You need to take this extremely seriously because if you don't, you're going to die. And like you just need to realize that this is a life or death thing that we're dealing with here. These aren't just uh, church rules, like no running down the aisle, you know, by the pews or, you know, like no no food or drink in the sanctuary. Like (laughs) it's not that kind of thing. This is a life. You should be cut off with the people if you drink coffee and bagels. That's right. (laughs) So none of that. Um, but this is a very serious thing. We're going to run into that again in chapter 10. And so, um, so as you're reading the book of Leviticus this week yep. and you're trying to get through these chapters, you know, like, what is happening right now? What you should be remembering is that the people of God want to live in God's presence. God's presence is with them. The priests have a special job of trying to enter into God's presence. And what you're reading right now is their responsibility in, I don't want to call it a transaction, but in that relationship. Right. That's relationship. Yeah. That's what you're reading. Right. And Essentially, you're trying to get back to the Garden of Eden. That's right. That's, we're still trying to get back yes. to the Garden, and this temple is trying to get us there. Yep. And you see that in little things like in verse chapter 7, verse 8, where the priests are given the skin of the animal to keep. Oh, right. It's yes. a symbol of, of back in the Garden where mm-hmm. God gives Adam and Eve the skins of the animal to cover their shame. Like the priests are in the, the shame-covering, forgiveness-dealing business. Yeah. And again, business relationship. <laughs> <laughs> that, like, they're, this is what we're after. We're right. trying to get back to the Garden of Eden. That's why it's so important. That's why the fire is always burning. His yep. mercy is always there, always present. The garden needs to come back. Yeah, it's really good. And we need to remember that constantly as we're looking at these rules. As you're reading Leviticus, uh, you just need to constantly remember that this is in a narrative story that's all about how can we live in God's presence? How do we get back to Genesis 1? Like, that's what the Bible's about. And so Leviticus is so crucial because it, like when we get to the end of chapter 9, God's going to show up. Like, we're almost yeah. there. So, like, you should be pregnant with in, in t- anticipation. Pregnant with anticipation. And so, anyway. You trying to tell us something, David? Uh, no, not yet. Oh, not okay. yet. Okay, okay, not okay, yet. Okay, okay. Uh, my, but Ezra is nine months old today oh so it's like the reverse conception date (laughs) that's true i've never thought of it like that that's really funny um anyway i don't know what that noise was if you heard that i hope uh i hope that's what is this i don't know my do not disturb was on but it made a noise Mm. anyway uh so So we're moving away from that oh no we're not i I wanted i want to point out one more thing so we've talked about the priests need to take this very seriously or Mm -hmm. they'll be cut off the people too get a little nod in here and we get a little excursus a little like parenthetical statement yep. about like um, not eating fat and not eating blood. Um, and, and what it talks about is bringing an acceptable sacrifice to God over and over and over again. It's going to be so that your sacrifice might be accepted, so that your sacrifice right. might be accepted. This is a really important thing because you want your sacrifice to be accepted. Um, you don't want to be like Cain. You don't want to be like Cain. You, you don't want to have an unacceptable sacrifice. Um, Remember Cain? Yep. Presumably he was trying to get back in the garden. That's right. Like he was at the foot of the garden, That's like right. offering his sacrifice. And Okay. Yeah. No, it's really good. Yeah. And, uh, and so it talks about like make sure you do everything as God has prescribed so that your sacrifice might be accepted. And I was thinking about this where it's like acceptable sacrifices and like following the rules of Leviticus that seems so rigid and arcane. And, and I was like, Oh wait, no, it's not. Think about um, like there are social taboos and faux pas. Mm. And you know that there are certain things you just should not do in a restaurant right. or a coffee shop right. or a funeral. <laughs> like, right. You just don't do certain things or you, you will not be accepted by yeah. that, yeah, <laughs> that, yeah, yeah, that group. Yeah, yeah. I was watching my, one of my favorite shows, It's a Guilty Pleasure, is Impractical Jokers. Oh and gosh. they go around and pull yes. pranks on people. Yes, yes. And um, uh, one time, uh, it's There's a the new whole episode. Show basically just them breaking, breaking tabs. Tabs. <laughs> <laughs> But man, there was this one, it's sometimes they do things that are so wrong in social context. Yeah. And it's not immoral. Right. It's, it's nothing just... immoral. 
and it, but it makes your stomach like queasy. And so there's this new one, and uh, one of the guys <laughs> is being punished. If you lose on the episode, you get punished, and you have to do it. And uh, this guy Murr had to go into Murr. a coffee shop in New York City where they live, and um, close everyone's laptops. And like you, you, you see the hidden cameras are showing you. There are like thirty open laptops. I mean, it, it, right? Everyone's laptops, and he just has to go over. And like people get so offended, like just I mean, right, right. they are their minds are blown. It's like they saw a Martian. Like, <laughs> and all he did was close it, close a laptop. There's nothing immoral or wrong right. about that. But it's a social faux pas, and he yeah. is, he was not accepted by that coffee shop. <laughs> and so, anyway, I just think it's interesting to talk about. That is the closest analogy we could think of <laughs> to these verses right here. But but uh, but but Hebrews picks this up again, and Hebrews picks a lot of Leviticus up. Hebrews twelve twenty eight to twenty nine talks about um, like let's bring an acceptable sacrifice to the Lord because our God is a consuming fire. It picks up both of these things right. in two verses, and um, the our acceptable sacrifice to the Lord is is Jesus so that all of the actions we do in our lives um, of the the good deeds we do our love of each other when we worship God in song whatever it is it is made acceptable on the basis of of Jesus um, and his perfect offering it purifies us and allows us to be priests who enter into the tabernacle and make acceptable sacrifices to God right um, and but why should we be worried about making an acceptable sacrifice, Hebrews says, because our God is a consuming fire. And he's about to reference what's about to happen right, when God right, right. shows up and the priests do not offer an acceptable sacrifice. So after that, we move into uh, the consecration of Aaron and right. his sons. So we're, consecration yeah. is... We're out of the table of contents. We're out of the, the table of contents. Yeah, yeah, we're into the story. Yeah. And so what's happening now is that Aaron and his sons are being consecrated. And so that just means being set apart, anointed for ministry in the temple. Right. They're being, they're getting ready for that day. And so essentially there's this eight day process of where they're continually offering sacrifices throughout that eight days, seven days. Yep. And then on the eighth day, there's this big final sacrifice. Yes. And then they're allowed to offer sacrifice on behalf of the people. Right. And if you remember last week, we talked about how whenever a sacrifice was to be offered in the temple, they would sprinkle the blood oh, right. around yep. the temple. And it was the symbol that not just an individual person is polluted by the act that they do, but the whole community can be polluted. And we right. talked about like... Even the altar, I thought it was so interesting. Even the altar said it needs atonement. Yes. Which right. kind of broke my categories a little bit. I was like, yes. what? And, yeah. so, like, we, and we talked about how like we... Like, t- like toxins in our food or like right. industrial farming, like poisons the land. Right. Like we have this. We, we have know this. that it's not just sinful actions and like a, 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 mo- like a court right. and punishment that's taking place here. There's also actual pollution. Right. Yeah. And so the symbolic sprinkling of the blood around the temple was supposed to symbol, was symbolizing the cleansing of the entire land. Right. And so what we have here, we have this really weird scene where after they're offering their sacrifices, the blood is taken and it's like dabbed on their, their ear, right ear, their, their right, right toe, thumb, and their, and their right, right thumb, toe, right toe, and their all their clothes. Yes. Yeah. And so, I think that's a symbol of them being purified in yes. the same way that the nation is being purified. They are symbolically being cleaned on behalf of the people, head so to that, toe, so that all people of the nation can be right. cleaned. And so we remember we have this category for the entire nation being defiled by mm-hmm. the actions of one person. So when the priest is cleaned, the entire nation is cleaned as well. Right. So when we have this so in this consecration ceremony, they're being set apart from the entire nation so that they might make sacrifices for the entire nation. Right. That their cleanliness can be the cleanliness of all people. Mm. So that's what's happening right yeah. now. That's awesome. And so yeah, what why is consecration important? It's because it gives us a person who can be our advocate. It sets yes. it sets uh, sets us apart a savior basically. And like that's what we see in Jesus is that not through some kind of of ritual, you know, uh, but he lived a perfect life. You know, it wasn't a 7-day sacrifice. It was 33 years right. of perfect living and then a perfect offering that didn't need to be repeated for 7 days and multiple bulls and sheep and on right. and on and on. It was one sacrifice once for all. And now he is our perfect advocate. And since he has been purified, we can be purified. Right. Yeah. And all the sacrifice we were told that they needed to perform in chapters 6 and 7, they do perfectly in chapters 8 and 9. And right. kind of list them one by one. They yep. did this one. They did this one. They did this one. They did this one. It should oh. kind of remind us of uh, Exodus. Right. When you see like, 
Moses gets all these rules on the mountain, and then the people perfectly execute them at the end, and then God shows up. Right. And again, we're going to see, here's all the rules for how to operate the tabernacle. They do all the correct operations of the tabernacle, and then God shows up. Chapter 9, verse 6. This is the thing the Lord commanded you to do, that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. That's the whole point. What's the point of Leviticus? It's so that God can be with us. Like yes. we can't forget that or, or Leviticus, like I, I get really frustrated and I used to th- say this too, right, but right, now right. that I know how beautiful Leviticus is, people are like, oh, Leviticus. I just, and I, you might be thinking that I'm not picking at you, but like, I'm just like, it's so cool to, to see that God is creating a space in which he can come and live. Like God's building right. a house and then he moves in at the end of chapter nine. So it's just really cool. I anyway. thought you would like this in verse 22. Uh, this, so this is God's presence coming down. Yeah. And Aaron lifted up his hands towards the people and blessed them. And he came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offerings and the peace offerings. So he came down from where? From the temple. Oh, yeah. So in the t- they're on a plane in yeah. the middle of the desert. Right. So they're not on a mountain. No. But throughout throughout the biblical story, the play, the temple... God's presence is on his holy mountain. Right. It's in the Garden of Eden. It was on Mount Sinai. So the holy places of God are always higher places. That's right. Like, and so you always come down from That's the right. higher places. It's like whenever, even if you were um, north of Jerusalem, you would say you, you would go, say you go up to, to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, even though you're going down right. south. You go up because you always ascend to the mountain. And it goes back to what you said in the first week, that the whole book, the whole Pentateuch is shaped like a mountain. That's right. The most important chapter is... Chapter uh, 16 of Leviticus. Of Leviticus, which is right in the middle of the whole, uh, of of the the whole Torah. Torah. Yep. And so we're just seeing little pictures here, like you come down from the presence of God, even if it's on a flat plane. Yep. I thought you would like that. I do love that. I really do. What's interesting about um, Aaron's consecration here that I don't want us to miss is that um, <laughs> just... In the last book, not long ago in the narrative at all, um, the person responsible for God almost not coming down among the people for like wanting, like almost wanting to blot everybody out and start over again, like he did in the flood, was because Aaron built a a golden idol, a golden calf for the people at their request, and so he, you know, he he led them incorrectly. This, he's like the chief of sinners, right? This dude, and then in this moment, he is elevated to the highest religious office that Israel has yes. as the high priest. But you should also still be thinking about Aaron's failures in the book of Exodus as well, because the story that happened in Exodus is about to repeat itself right. here with the golden calf. So yes. it says here... But it won't, be, it won't be Aaron, it'll be his, his sons. sons. Right. It says, The fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offerings. The eternal fire of the Lord is lit. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. This is the same response when Mount Sinai... Oh, covered. right. Yes. When the God, God speaks his commands, the fire comes out, the people freak out. Yeah. And what happens immediately after that, they offer, they they serve a false god. Right. They create an idol, they worship the wrong god, and, we're about, and Aaron was responsible for it. We're about to see the same thing happen here again right. with Aaron's sons. And so we said a couple different times that the way that the structure of the Pentateuch works is that there will be the laws of God given, a particular sin, and the new laws to help prevent that sin from occurring before. Yes. So that already happened in the book of Exodus. They yep. sinned all these new laws about how we should properly worship God. Now Aaron's sons are about to make a different mistake, and new laws are about to be added yep. to correct that mistake that they did. Right. So yep. here we go. The cycle continues. The cycle continues. Yeah. Okay, I don't want us to miss how epic the end of chapter nine is. Yeah. It's so momentous that God shows up, that the Lord, uh, the glory, it says the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Like, we've been waiting for this. We've been waiting for this. Hundreds. And like, we're waiting for this today. Like, we're waiting for the glory of God to come back. Like, we want to see this moment, but like, the world is polluted. And so like, you know, we're, we're, we're part of this cleanup project as Christians. And so like, this is a big deal. We can feel this today as Christians of like waiting for the glory of the Lord to show up. Um, and so the glory of the Lord shows up, whatever that means and whatever that looked like. And then we define like the glory of the Lord. I think we did maybe back in when we were doing Exodus 33 and 34, maybe when the glory of God passed by. Yeah. I think we said then it's just, it's the sum total of God's perfections. Yes. It's his infinite goodness, his infinite wisdom, his infinite beauty, just condensed into a space. Right. So the glory of God is everything good about God multiplied by everything perfect about God. Yeah, and, and it's made visible in and, some way. Yes. Which so is it's, insane. So that's why everyone's freaking out yes. and falling on their faces. It's and so the, incomprehensible. God's glory shows up. Everyone sees it. 
and then out from the tabernacle, a fireball <laughs> comes or something. Like, Haruken. That's a Street Fighter thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> but it's like a fireball comes out, and a fire comes out from the Lord and consumes the, the sacrifice and lights the fire that's never to go out. Like, now it's here. Um, I mean, that is by far probably the most insane thing that's happened on the planet Earth. <laughs> like, could you imagine <laughs> right, right, seeing right. that? Like, it would be the, mo- the most insane spectacle of all. And this is before pyrotechnics, you know? Mm. Like, no seen, one's seen flying have, fire before. haven't seen fireworks before. No. It's like, <laughs> dang, what just happened? <laughs> they might have, actually. The ancient Chinese had fireworks. Yeah, but who maybe, knows? Maybe the Egyptians had fireworks. Maybe they did. But this is something this is categorically different. different. This is different than a firework. It, it really is. <laughs> and so the people shout and fall on their faces. They're terrified. Which is the same response Moses had whenever um, he saw the glory of the Lord in the cleft of the rock. He fell on his face. Yeah. Anyway, kind of cool. Uh, Which always right. makes me skeptical oh. of people going to heaven when they die. Wait, what? Wait, sorry. <laughs> that, that sounded strange. Makes me skeptical of all the stories I read oh. about people going to heaven or right. seeing an angel. I'm like... The, the, kind of the universal response of people when they see the flat on your face. <laughs> and you were like having a picnic or something. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. You're like, I went and uh, yeah, I saw my Meemaw driving a race car and I was like, oh, I guess she's here. I, I mean, <laughs> obviously Paul went up to the third heaven. We have people, but yep. they were, they, they weren't even, permitted to talk so about it. So anyway, <laughs> anyway, brought it a lot. Different conversation. Very different, different conversation. But yes, when you see God's glory, the normal response is not to write a New York Times bestselling book. <laughs> It's to fall on your face. <laughs> to be speechless. Yeah. Or to be told you can't yeah, speak about exactly. it. Yeah, exactly. Right. So I, and it, never mind. I'm not going to speculate. I'm going to stop there. But um, yeah, so this the glory of God has come. And then um, Aaron's sons, who have just been consecrated, Nadab and Abihu, um, they come and it says that they each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And then they die. The fire comes out again. The fireball, the harukin, comes out again from God and consumes entirely, not the sacrifice this time, but Nadab and Abihu. So why did this happen? What is this? Well, what's unauthorized fire? I don't like. Well, Moses gives us the ultimate reason for why all this happened okay. in verse three. He says, uh, this is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me. I will be sanctified, right. and before all the people, I will be glorified. Mm-hmm. And so I've tried, I'm not quite sure what it means for the Lord to be sanctified. I think it means like I will be known, known as holy, known as holy, right. known as set apart, known as unique in power yes. and goodness and light. Yep. And I will be made great by that. Like you yep. will see me for my true glory, yep. my true perfections multiplied by my goodness. Yep. When my inner circle sees me as completely set apart and unapproachable almost then everyone around them all people will know how glorious i am yes so that's why he said that's the reason moses gives for nadab and by whose death because god has they tried to approach god in an unsanctimonious way they in yeah they wanted to approach god on their own terms okay yeah right like they wanted to say we don't need to really follow the commandments as the lord has given them yep we can follow him on his own terms which again is the story since the garden of eden <laughs> right like Eve wanted to approach God yep. and become wise like God on her own terms. Yep. Cain wanted to offer a sacrifice before yep. God on right. his own terms. The Tower of Babel, they, they wanted to they wanted to build a tower up to heaven on their own terms. Abraham wanted to provide the, secure the promise. So like this is the same story yes. we've seen over and over and over again. And I mean, Israel wanted to worship God on their own terms uh, with the golden with calf. The golden calf. Yep. So it's the same story. It's same story. Over and over and over again, and God, and we finally have a description for why the Lord refuses for us to come, to, allows us to come on our own terms. It's like, right. I want need to be known as the light, life, power, and right. fire. I'm not like you. I'm not like you. Yeah, I'm yeah. sanctified. I will be sanctified among people, and only then will I be glorified. Yeah, because o- you're only gonna worship and set apart as famous and hold in the highest esteem someone who is utterly unlike yourself. Uh, otherwise, you're only glorifying yourself. Right. Yep. And the only way that that happens is if you give up your ideas about what it means to approach me correctly. Right. And give, give up your ideas what it means to be pure or holy, to pray correctly, to live the right type of life. Right. And, it's, and believe me when I say what I say is true. This is a hard, this is a hard word for people, I think, approaching Leviticus. You yes. know, And even the Bible in general, where it's like, I come to the book of Leviticus and it just feels like this isn't how God should act. And this isn't how 
the sacrificial system should work. Maybe there even shouldn't be a sacrificial system. You know, like, why is there fire coming out? And why are animals being killed? And, man, like, as I read the Torah, I just feel like this isn't the kind of God I would want. And I don't think God's like that. I hear that all the time. I couldn't worship a God like that. I can't. If God's like that, I don't want anything to do with him. And it's like you're trying to make God in your own terms. You're trying to make God look like you. And he, yeah. the Bible comes to us as this holy fire that sets himself apart. And he's saying, I will be sanctified. I'm going to show you that I'm unique. As you read Leviticus, you're going to see that God is not like you expect him to be. Right. And you need to, we need to lean into that. It's, you don't want to be a part of an organization that allows anybody to come in. If you really care about the trees or the garbage patch in the middle of the ocean, you don't want people coming in who are lobbyists for big oil. Right. You have certain expectations of the people that come into your organization to protect the purity of the planet. Right. And you don't want people coming in on their own terms. You set the charter for your institution. Mm -hmm. You set the, the, the way for which you can have communion and fellowship within your organization or within your party, political party or within your uh, nonprofit. And you say, this is what it means to be a part of us. Mm -hmm. This is what it means to be in fellowship with us. This is what it means to be on mission with us. And we are excluding people based on that. Right. And I, I think we people understand that, but we don't understand that when it comes to God because we think somehow God doesn't operate like that. Don't you? And we separate God's fire in a way that's not, we've talked about it multiple times. Like God's fire is goodness. It's pure oh, right. goodness. Yeah. It's pure light. It is pure life. And if we want to have pure light and pure life, we need to trust when pure light and pure life gives us commands to get more light and life. Right. And all it, we, the story of the Bible is that we assume that we know how to get light and life for ourselves. Right. And that we if we try in our death to do something, it'll work out. It'll yes, be fine. Right. And the story of the entire Bible tells over and over again, that's not the way it works. Right. You need to sublimate your desires. You need to push down what you think is best and submit to the God who has lightened life itself in order to receive it. Right, because he knows what's best. He knows what's best. You're he lying to is yourself. What is he best. is what is best. He right? is what is best. This isn't some kind of deprivation. Right. It is actual... Um, gluttony. It's like you get to you get to get the best thing in the world. Do you world. think what is best for the planet is to, for the garbage patch to be gone? Right. And you don't want big oil lobbyists in there? Great. God is far more concerned with the purity of the planet than you are. Right. He's far more concerned for its ecological purity and your own moral purity and your spiritual purity mm -hmm. and your sense of forgiveness and that a, a sense of that feeling whole and right. at peace. And he's saying, I want that for you. And if you do it wrong, you won't experience that. Right. You'll just continue to pollute yourself and others. Which is, okay, so there's a lot happening here. Yes, there is. There's a lot happening here. And and I feel like there's two things I want to do. First, I want to say, like, I just want to sum up what we're saying here. Because we're both getting kind of impassioned. Yes. Because <laughs> uh, I think it's hitting on a cultural nerve. Yeah. A big time cultural nerve. Where w our culture wants to, um, ident like, wants to define morality and religion for itself. We want to... Well, every culture, every, through all time. Yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah. Every Israelite, Right, but every I'm, I'm person, saying, like, let's yeah. make it personal. Right, right, like, right. Yeah. We can't... I can't I can't resonate with um, Indian culture. Right. I don't, I don't want the things they want. I want the things that my culture has taught me to want. Right, yes, now, yes, yes. Now, is there an underlying sin problem? Yes. But, like, it manifests itself in multiple right. ways. Everybody wants to define... But how they define it is different. It's different. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. And so we want to define morality certain ways. We want to define what what good religion should look like. And yeah. probably it means not using the word religion. You yeah, know, yeah, like yeah. it's spirituality and it's connectedness or relationship. Whatever. Anyway, and it's like here in this story, we see kind of this ultimatum where God's like, you will worship me the way I've told you to worship me or else. And that feels wrong for our world. Right. But it's like... I, I mean, those two things don't go together. Right. I, I think that's the thing I'm running into is it's like, I think people are going to read this, this text and hear this conversation and they're going to go, that's not the God I want. And that's the whole point is like, that, that is what you should feel. Yeah. And then you should abandon that feeling yeah. <laughs> is you should go, you're right. God's not like you. He will be sanctified. So worship him. Like in, and in the way he says, it's, it's an act of submission to say, I will follow these rules. Like, yeah. I will do as you have said. It's, I will say you are Lord. It's why we, whenever we talk about the gospel in the New Testament, we talk about it as ultimately a humbling. Yeah. As, as a losing your life. Right. So that you might find life. Like, right. over and over again, that's what it means to be a Christian is saying, I don't know what's best for me. Right. It's to be skeptical of your own ability to determine what's best for you. Mm -hmm. 
and to trust that somebody else has something better for you. And that right. person is God and that is given to you in Jesus. Yes. And like what relief when Jesus says that his burden is light, you know, like why, like it's in this, in this big mess that the good news comes when we're like, man, we don't, we want to define good news for ourselves. And if I try hard enough, I can, I can make it to God and I can get into the tabernacle. I'll light my censer and take it to the altar. And, but ultimately it's always unauthorized. So we kind of feel like we're in this cycle of I'm going to try really hard, bring my best to God, but it's ultimately not worthy and yeah. I'm going to burn up. And it's like the good news of the gospel is that the acceptable sacrifice has already been brought. Like, and it's in Jesus and it's perfect. And all God is asking us to do is to name that sacrifice as perfect, to say that that is the truth. Oh, I mean, isn't that what he's asking them to do here in Leviticus, right? This is the gospel. He's saying, I have provided you a system. Trust in it. Just have yeah. faith that it's enough. Yes. This is good. Just have faith in it and you'll be saved. Right? That's the gospel. Right. Is I've made a sacrifice, just have faith that it's enough. Don't bring unauthorized fire. Don't try to add something to what's going on here. The good news of the gospel is the perfect sacrifice has been made. Don't add to it. There's nothing more to be done. Just have faith that it works. This trust, this faith yeah. that God has defined the terms properly right. and we need to submit and our humble ourselves to, to him. It's something that's picked up throughout the entire Bible, mm. entire Old Testament. I, I'm actually preaching through the book of Daniel right now. Oh, right. And there's actually a really great example, just like Nadab and Abihu in Belshazzar, Nebuchadnezzar's uh, descendant on the throne. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He uh, is throwing this big party, and what he does is he takes all the utensils out of the, that were used in the temple, mm. and all the bowls, all the incense, right. and he throws this party. He's drinking. He's getting drunk with all his officials. It's like he's worshiping yep. falsely. Yep. And Dan and there's this handwriting on the wall. Oh and it yes, says, right. Many, many Tekel and Parson or Perez, depending on whatever translation you're, you're reading. And what it says is essentially your days are numbered, mm. uh, you have been found wanting, and your kingdom is divided, and you're going to fall. Mm. And he dies, just like Nadab and Abihu. Oh right, yeah. And this the the, the, the quick version of the story is he fails to humble himself before the Lord. And just like, and he fa he worships inappropriately and he dies because of it. And in his pride, he's killed. And so I think one of the things we, we, we back off against is we assume that behind these rules and behind this death, there's this, this, this angry, vindictive God who wants everybody to bow to him, mm, right? Yeah. Like that, that's, that's part of the, the emotional. The pushback, yeah. But, but who is the opposite of Belshazzar and Nadab and Abihu's prideful worship? or pridefully demanding to be worshipped on their own terms. It's Jesus. Mm. In Philippians 8, he says, In being found in human for form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Yeah. Of anybody to question whether or not God would be right. Why this way, Lord? Jesus should have like, why do I have to die to do this? Yeah. And he says, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. Mm. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed. bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and, un and under the earth. And yeah. every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Mm. Nadab and Abihu bowed, right? They bowed in death. Mm. And anybody who doesn't, God is glorious. The eternal fire burns always. He is holy, regardless of how you respond to him. Right. And everyone will bow, either in death or a bowing that leads to resurrection. Right. Just like Jesus. If Every you humble yourself like Jesus, you will be resurrected like Jesus. Mm. There's no place for people to come to Christianity and say, your God is an unloving God who deals duplicitously, yeah. simultaneously angry and loving, that doesn't make sense. No, true love, true desire to be in presence, in somebody's presence is always protective. Mm -hmm. It's all, and true goodness wants nothing to do with badness. True right. purity does not want to be polluted. And God wants to protect that. And he's saying, if you humble yourself like Jesus did, you'll be resurrected like him too. Right. And, and we also just see, we have to constantly chasten all of this with the gospel because we're like, man, how could God do that in, in killing Nadab and Abihu for bringing unauthorized fire? Right. And it's like, okay, let's ask the same question. How could God do that? How could he hang and die on a cross if he's God himself, if he's the perfect one who 
is his you know like laid out the groundwork for what is right. authorized fire how could he be the one to come and actually die for us and humble himself like how could how could the king kneel you know yeah. like yeah like what 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 other king leaves his glory what other king yeah. leaves his throne i love that chorus uh anyway there's a there's so much to unpack there but what we're saying is uh, in the story of nadad and abihu and in all of leviticus we see there's these rules that have been set and god is saying bow the knee be humble and just have faith that this system will work. Right. And the gospel has um, a, a similar and better message. He's like, I have died. I've told you it's effective. You you can be saved. Just have faith that Jesus has done what is necessary to save you and purify you and make atonement for you and bring you to me. And like, and what's what's our response? Just have faith. Right. And um, and I know like it can feel culturally distant and it can feel cognitively dissonant and like it, you don't understand how maybe the uh, economy of it all works out but it's like you don't need to like right it helps do you trust to, do you trust though just have faith do you trust that somebody better than you yeah has better rules than you right <laughs> like, yeah this, exactly. that's really that's yeah. that's it so um man that's good well the the, the end here uh, of of chapter 10 um you know aaron is obviously sad <laughs> And grieving, his two eldest sons have died, um, and and for falling into the same sin he did back in Exodus. Right. So he's kind of seeing, you know, his own sin fall back on his head. Yeah. In a bit, and so and his cousins are appointed as replacements for his sons. Right. Essentially. Yep. Uh, Eleazar and Ithamar. Is that right? Um, sure. Or are those his other sons? It says that those are his surviving sons. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. And so, uh, yeah, they're appointed. And, they go um, through the consecration ceremony. Yep. Mm-hmm. They offer a sacrifice, and Moses, nervous, wants to check up on him. Yep. It's like, did, did we? Did we? Because I we, saw what happened last time. We didn't follow the rules. Did we said, follow the rules this time? <laughs> Verse sixteen. Now Moses diligently inquired <laughs> like, about the goat of the sin offering. Did you do it right? And behold, it was all burnt up. So that's the, not what's supposed to happen to a sin offering. Right. A sin offering. You probably missed that in all the details. Right. But like, that's not what's supposed to happen. Yeah, a, a sin offering is supposed to be just the long lobe of the liver, the kidneys, and the intestines are burnt up along with the fat, and it's the and the and then the the priest gets to eat the meat. But uh, instead, they treated the sin offering as if it was a burnt offering and burnt the whole thing up as a whole offering. And so Moses is like, "Oh no, right? That's not what's supposed to happen. Is somebody get burned again? Is somebody get burned again? We're gonna run out of priests real fast." <laughs> And Aaron uh, said to Moses, Aaron defends his cousins yep. and says this. He says, um, behold, today they uh, have offered their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord. And yet such things as these have happened to me. And I think he's referring to the death of his son. Yes, the of death course. of the family. If I had eaten the sin offering today, would the Lord have approved? And when the Moses heard it, he approved. Yep. So what we see... so. Apparently, grief is somehow disqualifying Aaron, Aaron from, from eating, from the, eating sin, the sin offering. From eating the sin offering. So he he allowed it to just be burnt up instead. Right. And so it, what you should know then, Aaron is the high priest. Yep. He's the priest of priests. Yep. And part of his role is to determine whether things are clean or unclean. That's right. Just before this, in verse 10, it says, You are to distinguish between the holy and the common, and between the clean and the unclean. And you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. And when we get to the purity laws, I think it's Which next, is next. Week, Yep. there's all these tests that you're supposed to do to determine if it's really leprosy, if it's really like a, an infection, if it's really something else. Like The priest's job is to determine whether things are clean or unclean, or a certain action is permissible or impermissible. And Aaron here is exercising his role as priest and saying, this is an acceptable action. It is wrong to offer and eat the sacrifice when you're grieving. Right. And Deuteronomy actually picks it up. Deuteronomy, I think, 24, uh, 26, 14 mm-hmm. says people who are mourning shouldn't partake and eat from the sacrifice. Right. And so and, and so you, you wonder, like, did did this become law after, you know, like, right, yeah, right, anyway, the... yeah, it's like the Euthyphro dilemma, but <laughs> anyway, uh, but yeah, so we'll pick up on. And so that's the reason that's important yeah. is because we're about to enter into that's the right. purity law. Yes, so exactly. Aaron is showing himself as a proper priest yep. who's properly consecrated to do the proper work of determining clean yep. and unclean clean things. And that's what comes right. next. Because he's made narrative. a judgment and Moses has said, yeah, that's right. That's that sounds right. right. And he, Moses is the lawful arbitrator between God and man, and he's approving. So, yeah, next week we'll we'll go into uh, looking at clean and unclean animals. So if you've ever wondered, 
why there were kosher laws and why the Jews still to this day don't eat certain animals and what the point of that was. Was it health code violations or was it something else? We'll find out next week. <laughs> anyway, that's my that's my bad teaser voice. Stay, Do you stay like tuned. it? Yeah. So yeah, thank you guys. In a for, world. In a world. <laughs> uh, so thank you. Yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, uh, be sure to uh, hop on and uh, rate us and uh, share with your friends and uh, read Leviticus. Yeah. And see Jesus in it. I mean, I just I'm thinking about all these rules and all these laws and holy fire. And I'm so thankful that Jesus died on the cross and rose again so that he could be my acceptable sacrifice forever before God so that I don't have to do this. I can just approach God with confidence and boldness and worship and thanksgiving. I don't have to worry about all this stuff because I have a perfect high priest who's done everything right for me. So like, man, read Leviticus and be thankful for it. So, all right, thank you guys. And we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit dedicated to creating free, gospel-centered media that speaks the gospel out of every corner of Scripture. So to join us in our mission and view our resources, we invite you to visit SpokenGospel.com. Spoken Gospel.